It's gonna be a long weekend if everyone's that puckered up. So you wanna come over Monday night? I'm gonna pick up some power drills, liberate my cabinets. Are you even listening to me? This is In The Cut, and hello, I'm Jesse. For this episode, Aaron and I watched the 2011 film The Cabin in the Woods. Format of the show means we're getting into the whole film, so spoilers are inevitable. And even if you're some kind of awful person who doesn't care about movie spoilers, you'll still have more fun if you join us after you've watched it or rewatched it. That part we've got covered, though, if you head over to the site at inthecut.org. You'll see all the different ways you can watch The Cabin in the Woods right now. All right, then, let's get rolling. All right. I want to, um, first off, I, what, one thing I want to get out of the way, since we're getting things out of the way, in terms of funding this project, the mm-hmm. we, it has not been going well with the scratch-off lottery tickets. We, we, we've invested several dollars, dollars upon dollars, really dozens almost, at least a dozen dollars in uh, these scratch-off scratchers, you know, scratch-off lottery tickets. I think, aren't we still ahead, at least uh, for our particular... Uh... If we're ahead, we're like a dollar ahead. And that's like less than this microphone cost. Are you not keeping a running a running total? We're several hundred dollars in the, <laughs> in the red, hmm. is the running total. So I decided to step it up and buy four scratch-off lottery tickets this time. And uh, let, let me let me lay them out for you. Maybe we'll do two now and two at the end. All right. All right. So we have uh, Big Catch, which is our standard, our go-to. Jungle Jim, which has treated us the best so far. Uh, I like that guy. Two new ones. One is uh, Cool Nines. And then the last right. one is Caddy Cash, which is obviously a Caddyshack knockoff. Oh, uh, I thought it was going to have cats on it. No, Caddy. C-A-D-D-Y. Caddy. I don't want that one. I want I want cool nines this time. Cool nines. Okay, you want to start with cool nines? I'm I'm all about cool nines. Your cool number is seven. Well, that's not very cool. Yeah, no, you're you're fucked. Your numbers are nineteen, forty. If the, how high do these numbers go? <laughs> seven. There you go. I got a cool seven. You're a winner. Did I win? You got another seven. Look at that, three sevens. Three sevens, that's, that is cool. All right, so that's a $1 investment turned into $3. Sweet. We're on the right track. I knew that this was a I'm good so way. I should just play scratchers for a living. All right, I'm going to scratch off Caddy Cash. Okay, be right back. All right. You don't want to hear this breathless narration of my Caddy Cash? Okay. Got a banana. How's the lottery? I don't fucking know how this one works. It's really confusing. I didn't even get two of the same one. On the other hand, I would have won $500, so maybe that was a, you know, maybe that, that was a that good That evens pick. it up. Yeah, right. Right, I'm basically breaking even on that one. <laughs> so Cabin in the Woods is a fun movie. It's one of those movies where it's, uh, it's, it's more, it's less of a movie about people or characters or the human condition than it is just a movie about movies yeah I, mean, I think this was a movie about the writing of a horror movie i think you know yeah 
that, um, you know, Bradley Whitford and uh, Richard Jenkins were, I mean, must have just been the two writers writing themselves into the movie. I think it absolutely unapologetically is that, yeah. And uh, Drew uh, Goddard, Goddard. Is that the director's name? He well, he's the other writer aside from Joss Whedon, and then and, the director, and also right. the director. Yeah, and 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 you get the impression that they just had so much fun making this movie, about them making this movie, <laughs> and of course a stroke of genius to cast Bradley Whitford. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally. I mean, I I think Richard Jenkins is also kind of genius. The two of them get the entire opening of the movie to themselves, which was one of my very favorite, immediate favorite things about this movie and remains the first five minutes of this movie is, is better than the first five minutes of any movie I've seen in the last, you know, several years. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. It's so much fun. And part of it is, I mean, because it's, it, it does nothing to set up the story within the story at all. Of course, it's just the two of them putzing around and getting ready for the events of the movie but also because it were i liked what it did with the there there's a certain amount of kind of like meta story even in the cabin in the woods because the in writing the movie they have to know that people are coming into the movie knowing something about what's going on that it's that it's uh that it's a horror movie except yeah. zoomed out a little bit and showing the the outer or the the machinations that that make a horror movie work to some extent and you get that much from the trailer you get that much from the buzz ahead of the movie and so you you may go in expecting that to be a major reveal in the movie that's already been spoiled for you and instead they just put it right up front yeah, I love that. I love how, I mean, you. the twist of the movie is pretty much up front. I mean, I think you, you know, have have the general idea of what's going on within the first 20 minutes or so. Uh, I mean, you, and then the rest is just kind of filling in the details or the deeper story of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so fun to start it that way. And if there's been a better moment in movies of the last, you know, at least year, than the smash cut to the title over the two of them in the little car. I don't know what it is, because that was just, that was so, such a gleeful moment. And that's, I mean, I feel like that is, I mean, that's the thing that Joss Whedon does that I, I mean, I, I feel like I, so much of his stuff I just love, but when I look back on it, it's those, you know, two moments in an episode that are just super brilliant that color your whole you know, view of the rest of the episode or whatever. And I, I think this movie had a lot of that, a lot of, I mean... It's it, great moments kind of just strung together. Maybe. Yeah, and, and sometimes there's not even that many, but the actual moments are just so great that it... Uh, although, I mean, in, the, in this in this movie, they had, they had plenty. I, I love that it was bookended by two of my favorite moments, too. I don't know if we want to jump straight to the end, but the fact that it opens so delightfully... And then the the final shot of the movie, yeah, <laughs> being this hand plunging up, which took me a little bit to kind of make the connection in my mind between that hand shooting up through the ground and just the classic horror movie trope right. of a hand shooting up from a grave or or whatever. Yeah, um, I definitely had that initial like, oh, it should have been a tentacle monster, and then it's like, nah. Yeah, I think I did too. I really wanted to to get this vision of the old ones as these, you know completely fearsome like inhuman creatures but but in hindsight it's much better that it's that iconic hand shot except in a whole new context yeah and then smashing straight to that nine inch nail song that was 
perfect. Yeah, that it was good. perfect. Um, but but uh, there were there were some there were some winky moments that didn't totally work, and one of them was the payoff of the merman. Yeah, I mean I, that's not even quite. I, that didn't feel like a, like one of those great like one of those Joss Whedon moments. Right. I felt like that was just. I mean, you knew that was coming. I mean, the whole the great thing about kind of trying to think of some others and put them into words. The, the moments that make Joss Whedon's writing really great are um, they're all really subvert subvert some kind of trope. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I can think of like three at least in Firefly, and I think they're like what made me love that show. And they're the moments, I'll just describe a couple of them. There's, yeah. um, well, let me let me guess which one is going to oh, be yeah. first. Yeah. Is it is it uh, the train job at the end of the episode where the guy who's been trying to kill them the entire episode yes. is on his hand, uh, on his knees ex- just explaining to the captain how he's going to rip him apart and the captain just kicks him into the engine? Yeah. And it's really brilliant because it's really I mean it's first off it's setting up a very classic very well worn trope and it's just a really kind of boring thing that feels formulaic but not not so much that you really recognize that. And then, then they just like suddenly and violently kill kill the you know he <laughs> kills the man on screen. But for you in your head, they're just he's, it's just like Joss Whedon saying "fuck you" to this particular boring thing that's in every TV show, and just very literally like kicking it into an engine or shooting it in the head, and and it's just so fun and cathartic and great in your brain just to have these little. The boring parts of the movie cut short. Uh, yeah, in Cabin in the Woods, that's it. Didn't have boring parts, uh, and you know, I feel like every horror movie, at least once you're really into horror movies, uh, or you've watched a ton of horror movies and grown up with them, you know, there's. I mean, for me, at least, all of the actual action set pieces tend to be a little boring. Now that I'm no longer actually getting a you know adrenaline kick from them so right. you know it's like uh this was a you know it's a fantastic movie because they could kind of cut all all of that short and have uh, actually interesting talky bits instead well and they could have another layer going concurrently like for example when they when they get away from the cabin and they're in the rv racing to freedom in, in the movie kind of within the movie or any other kind of similar movie, you would know that the bridge would be out or there would have been a cave in in the cave or whatever. But then they get to subvert it by just ha- like zooming out to the controller, the engineer guys, <laughs> and them saying, where the fuck is the cave in? And so you actually suddenly don't yeah. know what's going to happen. I mean, it's it's great because you get the you know the tension on both sides of the story, and uh, right, someone's going to be fucked no matter what. Right, and by the time it gets to the end of the movie, and they get to they get under the hood, and they get to the workings of of this universe that they're in, a revelation I had when I was watching it was I actually don't know what's going to happen next. I have no idea how this movie is going to. Right, end. that that was that was really fantastic, and it wasn't something I went into the movie expecting to have that. And yeah, it's that. Was was kind of another one of those moments you know even if you're not consciously thinking it by the time the arc of the horror movie is kind of wrapping up your brain is like okay the movie's over Hmm. i mean even if you kind of know it's not there's a part of you that's like at the comfortable end of the horror movie arc and you're and then then to have you know the whole other act is like i always love the surprise final act yeah, and perfectly set up because it kind of it is the end of a movie, sort of. The scene too is just so 
perfect. It's I mean it's one of the best scenes in the movie. It's one of the best scenes ever. Where, you know, it's gotten to the end of the movie, the horror movie, and it's just the last girl finally getting killed. Then everyone in the control room is just they've started their party and it's they've just totally forgotten about that and they're, they're they've considered it over in the same way that and i was saying their brain kind of considers it over and there's this, just the fantastic shots of them just partying and having just like kind of you know cliched party small talk with the big monitors in the background of the gruesome end of the film there, there's no question in my mind that that's the best moment in the movie um, and it's yeah. so fucking subversive Mm-hmm. And so one of those strange experiences I had watching this movie is that I really don't enjoy watching teenagers get murdered by horrible people. And so there's a lot of the movie that seems to implicate the audience really, I think, probably effectively that just was I felt like lost on me because I find it really unpleasant to watch teenagers screaming like and suffering. The actual horror movie parts were just like, I mean, the sound design and everything was just like, yeah, really wince inducingly painful and awful yeah i mean i think they definitely were going back to texas chainsaw massacre i think right right was the movie that they were you know had pretty much that arc and and that you know i I think that was kind of the first movie to really just i mean just really viscerally have that you know the people getting killed being killed very very painfully and really showing the pain and the suffering and the Mm. awfulness um I, I thought I thought that see this is one of maybe one of my problems with the film or maybe something the film was working on a different level than I expected it to, but that I thought that I was I was I was meant to be implicated as in a guilty way in 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 those scenes and then of course in the in the major scene that we were just talking about where there's this juxtaposition between them kind of like yay the you know it's over we we did it we wrapped it up everything went according to plan more or less and in the background she's being cruelly you know butchered. Or, or, you know, beaten and just... It, my, my feelings were mixed, but they were really strong. So it, it's, it, it, uh, it was incredibly effective, even if I wasn't... If, even if I didn't feel like the arrow had landed quite on the mark for me, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it's not implicating you, then, it, you know, it can be implicating the audiences of those movies. Right, I can feel superior to those people. Yeah, that's... <laughs> And that was one of the things that, watching it a second time, it, that really sank home was was that if if kind of the roulette wheel of how they died had come up any other or some other ways, yeah, then it, I I would have been completely guilty. Mm-hmm. Like I was comparing, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre style movie to maybe a movie like Jaws or another kind of like you know stalking monster creature movie that I really love. And, and that I don't necessarily cheerlead the deaths of characters in, but that I, I felt I would have felt like this movie would have really, really hit for me more if it had been more of if the movie within a movie had been set in a genre, I, I, I more gleefully cheerled the mm-hmm. creature. So so <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I did take one note. <laughs> when I was rewatching this movie and it was I had to freeze frame, of course the the odds board where they're all oh, betting yeah. like horses on what the what horrible fate the, the kids will choose and and my favorite ones which i wrote down dragon bat it's a good <laughs> one reptilius it's evocative mm-hmm. hell lord <laughs> his actual um fornicus the lord of bondage and pain right and then my two favorites 
Evil molesting tree. Angry molesting tree. <laughs> Angry molesting tree. <laughs> Which is horrible, of course, but it's, a, 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 you know, a, unquestionably a, a wink to the first Evil Dead movie. Right. There was also Deadites on the board. Deadites was on there too, right. And then the, the my, my favorite, my probably my number one, uh, Dismemberment Goblins. <laughs> there was also just Kevin. <laughs> and, and one of them. The things I really loved um, was that the board kind of felt like it was just going to be a throwaway um, and just kind of, you know, a really great throwaway. Right. Then the end of the movie happens and they actually do make all of those monsters and have all of those monsters be in the movie. And I just I love moments. I love the thing where something something feels like it's a total throwaway and it's it's awesome. And it's like at the end of the movie, you're like. The thing at the end of the movie is you're just like, yeah, I wish we had seen all those things. That would have been such a fucking awesome movie. And then they made that movie. And they actually had, yeah, all those, you know, kind of a shame. But, I mean, it didn't quite have the budget to do them all well. Um, right. Unitedness, like the CG team, was very small in that movie. But I like that they just made them. I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it takes a real craftsman to make a movie that sets something up that they're going to pay off that aggressively in the movie and not have it seem like it's going to be... It's, yeah. it's an obvious plant. I think that that's real excellent craftsmanship to have done that. Yeah. I agree that, the, that it was just a total, pure, like, 15-minute guilty pleasure <laughs> to just get to watch every horror creature from every movie pour out and, and and just do their whole thing in crazy overlapping ways I, I i wish that they had used less cg i mean you're right that i mean this isn't going to be a movie that they make with a major budget because it's not meant to be a blockbuster type of movie so and of course the the cg team is tasked with not just making a bunch of similar creatures but making really really disparate separate weird characters from totally different types of horror movies so so they their you know workload is pretty crazy <laughs> but i wish that they had just used that as an opportunity to do more practical effects and put yeah, and, just... and done a wolfman as a man in a costume like it would have been in the late 80s and early 90s or it's done just so much more expensive i mean i just i think that they could have done you know a quarter of the amount of monsters and i, I think just kind of what that what made it work was just the amount just the scale of it I just, I just don't think there'd be any other way to do that kind of scale. Yeah, it's... But, it, but yeah, it, I mean, I, I love practical effects over, you know, CG every time. I love but. cheap practical effects over decent <laughs> CG, usually. Yeah, but decent CG is still cheaper than cheap practical effects. Okay, okay. I, I just, they could have put Wolfman, they could have rented a Wolfman costume <laughs> from down the street and put Wolfman in a costume and it would have worked better for me. Even if it looked terrible. Um, but speaking of, of moments set up and then paid off, uh, I wish that the merman thing had, had been a throwaway because I thought it worked better as a throwaway. There's a teeny, teeny little allusion to it early when they're placing their bets in Bradley Whitford's character, of course, because we love him and because he can't get over it, he bets merman again. And then there's the scene after the the horror is selected by the kids where Bradley Whitford said he had the conch right in his hands. <laughs> and that yeah. that would have been just a perfect like ending to that joke. And and having the creature show and later kill him, it felt like too it felt like a joke told too many times. Yeah, I was uh, when you were talking about, you know, the skill it takes to 
heavier setups, not feel like setups. I thought of, you know, that was, you knew that was going to happen and then it happened. And uh, I sorted personally, I sort of didn't, I thought they were going to perfectly end it where they, <laughs> I thought they were ending it. And, um, and then it just seemed like, although when, that's another scene that it was a little bit better the second time around because they played this like love music, <laughs> like two lovers being reunited. And that, that was just a touch that was lost on me the first time. I think if they had just gone a little less heavy on the setup for that joke. Yeah. Um, then it would have been. And the other thing is that the merman was a practical creature, I think. Yeah, the merman looked great. Except I hated his face. <laughs> I kind of liked how I liked everything about how how he, uh, he was kind of like he was disappointed in the merman. Like it wasn't just he was disappointed in his that he was being killed by it, but he's also like the merman just didn't live up to his. You know, he really thought it was going to be like this majestic, you know, merman, and he's just like, oh, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> And that was great. Okay, you're right. It, it, taking it in that sense, I actually really like that better then. You shouldn't be here. This should have gone differently. Ended more quickly. I can only imagine your pain and confusion. But know this. What's happening to you is part of something bigger. Something older than anything known. Um, Sigourney Weaver uh, being cast. So good casting, you thought, on her? I thought it was, I, but I thought that that last, that last whole scene wasn't very interesting to me and everything after they went downstairs. Yeah, and it should have been. It really should have been. But, yeah. but before I get into the, to the mechanics of the, of the way the universe operates, I think that what ultimately bugged me and, and had bugged me from the beginning, and I just realized this time around, is that it just should have fucking been Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> She's like the patron saint of these movies. I mean, I don't know. I mean, e either of them work, but yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis would have been... Uh, well, I mean, Alien is up there. Yeah, but Alien's not really one of the movies that, that's being, that's, that, that exists in the universe of, this, of Cabin in the Woods, I don't think. I think it really is. I mean, Alien really was a perfect haunted house movie. I mean, it, it was set in space, but it was a horror movie, not a science fiction movie. I mean, yeah. it was science fiction, but I mean, Alien was one of the great horror movies of that era, even if you don't quite think of it that way. Sure. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, she played the Virgin. Hmm. It was interesting, but, you know, she had, I mean, I think, yeah, it totally could have been Jamie Lee Curtis, but it was someone who had been that character and had survived and having that with her like kind of monologue about, you know, we're punishing you because you're young mm. and having her someone who, you know, was his, you know, age now and it isn't in that role anymore. But having been one of the really iconic, played one of those really iconic roles in one of the movies that kind of invented those roles. I mean, I think it was, you know, in the late 70s when the, that this kind of format of horror movies became a thing. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween and Alien. Right, and a million, a million like, B-grade yeah, versions. But I think those were the three that really kind of created the format. I could talk for a year about Alien, man. I don't even yeah. want to get started. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's a, like I said, I love her. I didn't, I, there's, she did a, she did a perfect job in the role. Yeah. Uh, she didn't get much to do. Right, so the movie, the movie 
it really gets to the point of the over story or the the wraparound story uh, when they get downstairs and see the actual gears turning, as it were, of, of mm-hmm. what puts them in these situations. I felt like the one scene that that movie was really, really missing, and it was, you know, obviously just a, you know, they didn't have the budget for it, but I, I felt like, you know, that whole last scene, that whole last set piece was, felt really disconnected from the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is it just felt really physically disconnected because we didn't have the scene of them actually going from you know the upstairs control room downstairs and I, I felt like that would that would just that was really important for them to, to have the scene where you kind of get you know just from them walking from the you know fancy technological control rooms down into whatever magical temple that they were you know walking you know that they were down in but we really didn't have that transitional scene of them finding it i think you hit the nail on the head and 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 i think that's exactly why it bothered me that i couldn't quite put my finger on but but yeah i mean there's uh, the color palette is an abrupt change they're just they just suddenly kind of appear in this room and you in some aspects you get the sense that it's like way deep underground yeah there is we haven't had that visual transition from just below the earth to way deep underground we don't know if the the control room was kind of built on top of this ancient temple thing or if they kind of were built in tandem. Yeah. And yeah. I just think he ha- having more of an idea of the physicality of this whole compound would have been really awesome. Tied the thing together. And then, and then, yeah, just that whole last couple of scenes, there wasn't really anything interesting going on. I mean, there was, she explained it and that was like, okay, now we have the explanation. And then there's, you know, it was just someone explaining how horror movies work, and and that was kind of fun that they had set that up in that way that it could be. Explained. And then and then just nothing really interesting or unexpected in the whole last. Like I was kind of expecting some other twist or some something something to happen. Yeah, I didn't need it to be a twist at that point, but I really wanted there to be an explanation that was fun. Yeah, just something fun, and there was nothing fun in the last bit and it was like the ending of lost the bad part of the ending of lost <laughs> i never which watched i want to say for the record I, I i liked the ending of lost but the way they they tie up the major kind of super natural aspects of it was profoundly unsatisfying i, I yeah i thought that they um in, in this they there was a missed opportunity to really describe the nature of why this world works this way I mean, having old gods demanding these sacrifices works. I just wanted to understand better how wh- how this relationship was formed, or what the blood meant in the in the figures. The, I mean, there was obviously this whole mechanism in place that I just wanted to. I thought it would be fun to explain more. Yes, yeah, so it needed that, or it needed it needed something. Um, it was very anticlimactic. Yeah, climax. Um, and then they, I, you know, like they decided to destroy the world. And right, it should have been an incredible, a wonderfully climactic climax because the decision that's written into it and the payoff at the very, very last shot were great. <laughs> um, yeah, but it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a big thing at all. It was like, ah, fuck it, let's get I. Right. It. it but I just, it, it, I had such a dim view of what was at stake at that point and and of what why that decision meant anything. Yeah, yeah, there was just nothing fun in that last last whole thing, and that, that was the only part when I was actually watching the movie that I was dissatisfied. I, I think there was 
definitely other parts that I was dissatisfied with afterwards thinking about it, but every other part of the movie was just fun to watch. I think I think a lot of horror movies now are just like cruel and miserable to watch. Yeah, there's there's that aspect, there's the whole kind of torture porn where it's like to make it shocking or new, they just get more and more outrageous with the, you know, just pain and unpleasantness. Right. Yeah, but then there's this other thing where, you know, I think there are a lot of movies now that are that aren't doing that that are, you know, trying to be legitimately scary rather than just gruesome. Like I was noticing, I mean, jump scares, particularly like in a theater, are super, super effective now. But it's not because of anything that's actually happening in the scene. It's not, you know, your your kind of traditional, you know, cat scare. You know, you know where right. they have in every movie that they also right. had an alien. Right. Um, it's just where you, you know, the, you see the cat and, you, you know, you had to have this perfect... Uh, you know, timing and tension. Right, you have to strike just at this kind of tipping point in the audience's mind. And now it's just sound design. It's really just getting quieter and quieter and quieter, and then they have this sound that they play that's this very specific jump sound, and uh, with nothing going on the screen. It's just like, we're gonna, it's, the movie is just yelling boo. There was the, I remember a kind of evolutionary period in how I watched movies that did that because I felt like I cut my teeth on movies that did it well and thoughtfully, but within you know uh, the greater scope of the mounting terror of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the first couple times I saw a movie just kind of pull it out of its pocket just because it, it needed a beat right there. It worked, and I was like, oh, that, no, that was pretty effective. Man, this movie's all right. But then, like, the third or fourth time, I'm immediately, I'm just like, I jump. It, like, it still gets mm-hmm. me. It's effective. But then I'm immediately, like, pissed off. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Like, I'm like, fuck you. Like, don't. If you're not doing it cheap, you got to be really, you got to really be doing it. You got, you know, to get an emotional reaction right. from me just just through narrative. Um, it, it takes a lot more. And uh, it's it really is that scoring that... Uh, do you think the the cabin in the woods had any real effective scares in it? No, no, I don't. I don't think it was. Uh... Yeah, I don't think so either. I there. I think that the closest they got was when they first get in the glass elevator and are and are touring all the different little scary things. You know what? I take that back. I thought there was one movie that, or, or, or sorry, one scene that really made my skin crawl early in the movie. You can't guess which one I'm talking about, I'll bet. I don't think so. There's a scene when they're really starting to become stupid horror movie characters. And they're drinking, and they're playing truth or dare. Mm -hmm. And they dare the blonde girl to make out with the wolf's face. (laughs) And she does such a fucking good job. And of course, I mean, it's the music, and of course, it's this, the the prop design of the wolf's face that, yeah, like, on that any was. freeze frame, would be like a wolf about to bite her face off. But in the movie, it's just like, compl- it's perfectly frozen just before it's gonna kill something. <laughs> and she, and they, and they build it. They build the tension in that scene so exquisitely that I actually was like, on the edge of my seat. It was wonderful. I thought that was a, a, a and of course, it was just like. They're doing something that they know is a trope that that's obviously not meant to be within that, like subversive or unique or anything. But they just did a perfect little like fake out, like tension building 
what the fuck is good, you know, something really bad is going to happen in a second. <laughs> I thought they did that perfectly. So, uh, yeah, so there was, I think, at least one good, solid, like, thrilling moment for me, at least. They're good. They're expert craftsmen making a movie for fun. I liked when Malachi was on the speakerphone. I hated that. Yeah. I, I mean, it was funny because Joss Whedon can write a scene like that, and it's just like a little slice of life thing, except... Michael Myers goes to the grocery store or something where it's a little <laughs> juxtaposition that's funny in and of itself. But I thought it was going to help me understand what the fuck that character was. So was he a real legitimately loony guy? Part of that scene that I didn't get to the second time is everything he was saying, like while they're just giggling and ignoring him, is he's actually telling, warning them about what's going to happen. You know, saying, you know, the fool is going to ruin this and in this kind of cryptic way, but he's, he's warning them about how things are going to go wrong. That's fucking fantastic. And, uh, they're kind of all ignoring him and just giggling because he, his role in the, in the movie within the movie is, is the, is as the cryptic warner of de mm -hmm. their demise. And so, yeah, you feel like he is, you know, this is a world where they do have access to, you know, the, to magic and craziness and that he's maybe something that, you know, they just, got an actual cryptic crazy psychic man and used him instead of uh getting an actor and and, yes. and, and then he's he's literally calling them to warn them mm -hmm, that the whole system's gonna be their horror movies about to start i completely missed that that's such a, such a good yeah, catch i didn't get that yet till the second time and that i love that that's you know kind of starting that's starting the arc of their horror movie narrative yeah, and another and another thing, it's it's interesting that you that you frame the outer story going wrong as an as a, another separate horror movie narrative, which it is, and I hadn't really thought of it mm -hmm. that way, but that they they have to be punished for their transgressions is seated in some ways in the new that uh, I forget the character's name, but he's the black security guard yeah. who's kind of it, there's several scenes where he's just kind of the audience's counter reaction to what's happening on the screen. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that frames the, them getting their comeuppance in a great way too. When, since you've put it that way, yeah, I wonder if you can break down the characters in the room into the archetypes. <laughs> I don't I don't see any really obvious ones, but uh, right. Also, I think I feel like a lot of the foreign horror movies just don't work when you stop to think about it because there's like someone they were doing like a King Kong, and it's like, can you really like just secretly destroy a city with a giant monkey? <laughs> I didn't think that this was meant to be an unknown aspect of the real world that you and I live in. I think it was meant to be an all-encompassing theory of the universe in which all horror movies take place. Okay, I didn't really take it as that, because I kind of figured, you know, they just had these super well-controlled secret bases where they did these things. And that's what I was mentioning earlier, and I don't think mm -hmm. I put very well, but, but part of what helped me enjoy this movie a lot more on the second viewing was seeing it as that, and that that every horror movie that you and I see in our lives is more like a little portal into this world mm -hmm. that has its own set of rules, but we've never had a chance to know why those rules exist or what's driving these people's irrational actions or what happens if you break the rules. And they, I thought they had they had really had a ton of fun with that premise. 
Now that that definitely makes a lot of things work work better. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't end with the destruction of the world as we know it, but the destruction of the world in which all horror movies take place. Mm-hmm. I think we've I think we've covered our bases. Yeah, Did I'm trying to like think. If, um, wrap it up. What's the ending theme song? Boop boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, should we do some scratchers? Yeah, you know I. I when I lived in California, I called them scratchers, and I thought scratch-offs sounded really idiotic. <laughs> and now I feel like I'm, I've called them scratch-offs more often than I've called them scratchers in this conversation. So I don't know if I should feel embarrassed like I sound like an idiot or what, but I'm going to scratch off some scratchers. Scratchers. Now I, now I feel dumb. Scratchers. Scratchers is better. <laughs> Next okay. thing you know, I'm going to say pop instead of soda. <gasps> Did they Where's, say that there? Yeah, everyone says pop. You know what they say here? Soda, like God intended. No, not even about soda. But the my favorite um, thing that everyone says is instead of uh, shop for groceries or get groceries, people make groceries. <laughs> like I can go down to the Walmart and make some groceries. I feel like you must be kidding right now. No, nope, that's that is what they say. I don't know if it's like a weird. Make French thing groceries? Or, yeah, you can make groceries. <laughs> like, not even, like, young people say it. Everyone says it. You <laughs> <laughs> gotta make some groceries. Do you want Jungle Jim or Big Catch? Jungle Jim, he's got a piss helmet. <laughs> and he needs more pithiness. It's like, I said, already made. I thought you said piss helmet. Piss helmet. Piss helmet. Okay, number one is Hippo. That's a new one to us. Number three is Hippo. How are you feeling about oh, hippos? I love hippos. I love that hippo that's friends with the turtle. Nobody um, knows internet. what you're saying right now. People Croc know is the fourth. <laughs> fourth one's Croc. Fifth one is Rhino. It is a skunk. Shit, I should have gone with skunk. Yeah. All right, last one. I got Big Catch here. Got a $1,000, a $2.00. A $1,000. Aaron, what are we going to do if I win $1,000 on the scratcher? Get some good microphones. Is that what, the best thing we could do with our money and our time? Whis- whiskey's good. Nope. $1. Aww. Thanks, Aaron. I love you. Love you, too. Bye. I wish I could have seen it. I know. That would have been a fun weekend. Well, even though we didn't manage to win a thousand dollars there, I went ahead and bought Aaron a new microphone anyway, and a little bit of whiskey. So here we are to talk a little about the next movie we're going to do. So we're, we're going to talk about the movie Nightbreed, because I think there was some kind of conversation where we decided that we should. Um, there may have been uh, liquor in Aaron. There was a conversation where you decided that we had to. <laughs> Well, I saw Nightbreed several times uh, as a young person, uh-huh. and it was a, uh, I believe, a 
fantastic film then. I mean, certainly my main memory from it was um, lots of monster tits. Huh. There was a porcupine monster with tits, and I believe there were ghost tits. So those are some definitely strong adolescent memories of that uh, movie. Clearly. A lot of denim jackets, I think. Good. David Cronenberg, terrifying. David Cronenberg, does he act much? Because I don't know I him as an actor at all. I don't think he does much. I think he did act some before this, but I don't think he did a lot of big parts. Um, I could be totally wrong. Um, I mean, because this, this, this movie was uh, Clive Barker's big studio follow-up to you know hellraiser i think he had had some pre-hellraiser movies that he at least wrote that were probably not so good and uh uh hellraiser did very well and they uh, gave him a huge pile of money to direct another movie and uh he made some neat monsters good i guess my big question was going to be whether this was pre or post hellraiser but it had you right it would had to have been post since yeah. nobody knew his name until hellraiser you know, I mean, this was one of those movies that was, you know, I'm sure got the cover story of Fangoria and every, probably several Fangoria covers. There was a lot of, a lot of really solid, good creative monsters, I think. Uh, What's the premise of the movie? Humans are the real monsters. Monsters are That's awesome. the theme of the movie. And What's the, got... what's the premise? <laughs> um... The premise is that monsters are awesome, and uh, there's this um, there's a bunch of monsters. Some of them have tits, but there's a man who is an awful actor uh, with lots of denim and mullets. It turns out he's a monster and must enter the secret world of awesome monsters. I really want to see it. It's kind of like, um, what was that Fred Savage movie? Little Monsters. Little Mon- It's basically Little Monsters except with like super like gruesome murder and uh, monster tits. I didn't like Little Monsters. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I didn't like That's it. That's fucked up. What about when they went down to the great underground monster city? I thought everyone was a brat and <clears throat> they all annoyed me. What? I wanted them uh, all to go home. You and might ob- not like Nightbreed. <laughs> I wanted all the kids and little monsters to go home and obey their parents. Were there more? Uh, and study harder. I mean, maybe we're going to have to talk about little monsters later, but... <laughs> okay, okay, I'm... Little monsters is coming back to me. Uh, Nightbreed, not so much. <laughs> is there anything we should look for going into this movie? Um, awful mullets. Well, it it ticks all the boxes as far as I'm concerned, then. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Cool. And don't forget, once again, you can come to inthecut.org and see all the ways that you can watch Nightbreed between now and then. And I hope you come back and join us again next time. Thanks.